Welcome to the LarryandFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon, and I'm very honored to have with me today Holly Miller. Holly is a, a teacher at Riverside Intermediate. She teaches sixth grade. However, uh, she's not in Fishers now. She's uh, the recipient of an Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship. This is a fellowship for STEM teachers, and for those who may want to be reminded, STEM stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Holly's going to spend a year working in Washington, D.C., so Holly Miller, thank you so much for carving out some time for me What, from what I know is a very busy schedule. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Uh, I just really want to start off with this. I can't imagine what it must have been like when you received the news that you'll be receiving this fellowship and spending an, an entire year in Washington, D.C. So when that news did come your way, what uh, personal uh, adjustments did you have to make to prepare for living a year in the nation's capital? Well, the funny thing is, when I asked my boss, my principal, Dr. Kaminsky, um, if I had permission to even apply for this, what I had said in the email is, now let me just clarify, there's no possible way that I'm going to get this. I'm going to apply anyway. (laughs) And so then when it came through, I was like, oh, dear. Um, But he was thrilled for me. But, um, yeah, it's a pretty huge adjustment. It came at at a nice time, though, because teaching last year was a real challenge. And so I thought this would give me a good chance to reset and come back inspired to teach in a new way. Um, the other thing is my two children are in college. My son just uh, left for IU. And so it, it just worked out great. It was at a perfect crossroads in my career and in my personal life. But um, it's a lot. It's a lot to ask somebody to pack up and move cross country. I'm just curious because I've never, and I'll, I'll talk about this later, I've, I've spent some time in D.C., but I've never spent a year in D.C., two weeks at the most. So just talk about what it's like living in the district, adjusting to that uh, lifestyle. It's exciting. It is uh, so far different than Fishers. I can't even begin to explain it. And I love Fishers. I've lived in Indiana most of my life, but there's just this electricity in the city. There's so much happening. There's so many powerful people that have the capacity to impact positive change. And it's just, it's fast and busy all the time, but it also feels like it's full of possibility. Um, I've also been here before just for short visits and tried to run through the museums and look at the monuments as fast as I can. But now that I live here, I can go through a museum at leisure. I can read the signs. I can really sit down and enjoy an exhibit. So it's it's a completely different experience to live here versus a quick vacation here. And uh, I know people who visited D.C. often, often, you know, many, many times, and they say, okay, I've done all the tourist stuff. It's, it's really not the same anymore. Have you had a chance to do all those touristy things, uh, the monuments, and you mentioned the museums? Have you had a chance to see what there is to see or plan to s- just space that out over time? I, I've done a few things. Um, I had to, of course, go to the National Zoo and check on my panda cub that I've been following for the past year. And I've seen a few art museums, but um, there's so much. There's just so much to do. The nice thing is I have a lot of friends and family from Indiana that um, have already scheduled visits to come and see me here. And so that'll give me more opportunities to get out and check out the city. Yes, my wife went with me to a to a conference. I went to a few years ago to D.C. That's the first place she wanted to go was the National Zoo and the pandas. 
And uh, there was an emergency, by the way, because the pandas apparently were not out. It was in the winter time, and uh, she almost missed out, but got a chance to see those pandas right before she left. So, uh, National Zoo is one of the great uh, one of the great places to visit. I want to change a little bit here because we you touched on this before, but I just just want to ask this question: You, you how do how do you become an Einstein Fellow? Um, well, it's an application process, and I had heard about it when I was um, working on my PhD at Texas Tech. Another um, PhD student had had gotten the fellowship, and they were talking about it, and. To me, it seemed like the pinnacle of teaching, right? Like the Oscars of teaching. And so it had been on my bucket list. It was one of those, well, someday if I'm, you know, accomplished enough, I'm going to apply for it. And um, I I just decided to go for it. It was um, a pretty extensive um, essay application. You had to answer a lot of different questions. And um and then when you find out you're a semifinalist, you have to go through multiple rounds of interviews, which used to be face-to-face, but obviously had to be virtual this past year. And then when I found out I was uh, selected as a congressional fellow, I had to go through yet another gauntlet of interviews to decide whose office I was going to be placed in. So it was pretty extensive, but absolutely worth it. I want to get to that because uh, you are placed in the office of a senator, Uh, Talk about the uh, senator's office where you're working now. Yeah, so I'm going to be working in Jackie Rosen's office. She is a senator from Nevada. And um, I interviewed with 12 different offices, House and Senate. And this one just, um, I just really felt a strong connection. She is a strong supporter of STEM education and specifically computer science because that was the senator's background and she feels really strongly about supporting teachers. So if we're trying to move teachers to become you know, STEM professionals, we really have to support them in that effort. And so my interests and the office's interests were very well aligned. So that's how I ended up there. Well, I know for senators and members of the House, they are often uh, identified by the committee assignments they have. Does uh, this, your senator, Senator Rosen, does she have uh, committee assignments that lend themselves to the work you plan to do? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, she's really busy. Um, that was another thing that was of interest to me. She serves on many committees, and she's also um, she's got a reputation for having a strong um bipartisan take on things so she knows that for things to move forward and be successful it's it's got to cross party lines we've got to come to some common ground so she really has a stellar reputation and i i'm i cannot wait to start working and find out what that looks like in action well i i'm curious about this too because i have uh, uh, i've done like legislative conferences i've talked to people who work on the staff of senators and and members of Congress, and I know that there's a certain culture within those those offices. What's it like uh, to go in and, and blend in with the senator's existing staff? Well, I don't know because I haven't been in yet, so I'll tell you as soon as I get my badge. But um, I, we uh, we had to do an orientation to the fellowship first, and then we'll we'll move in there. But the funny thing is, they really want you there because you are. A teacher, you represent teachers' voices. And so it's okay that I don't understand the way 
all of government and all of politics works. And I was very open about that in my interviews. I was like, I don't consider myself to be especially political, but, um, but I can talk about education and I can talk about kids all day long. So um, I don't know that I will blend in. I think I, it'll be pretty obvious that I'm the teacher in the room, but that's, that's what they want. That's the goal. So uh, if you're in your orientation, so you haven't really dived in yet, but uh, have you had a chance to meander the halls of these office buildings, these Senate office buildings you'll be working in? No, not yet. That'll be on Friday. Um, And then hopefully we can get, eventually I will be in the Capitol building too. Obviously that's been shut down for a while, but um, I have a feeling that we're going to be in lots of different places. Like I said, it's a very busy city and meetings happen all over the place. There's a lot of collaboration. So I have a feeling I'm going to see a lot of places that a typical tourist would not see. So obviously you haven't had a chance to work on any legislation yet. Uh, Do you have any clue as to where you might be involved? What type of legislative activity might come your way? Um, I think there's probably going to be some work, um, just on the restorative process of getting kids back in the classroom, the impact of COVID. I think that's going to be a huge focus for quite some time. Um, And then beyond that, I have lots of things that are of special interest to me in STEM education. So um, I'm there to serve them. I think that they will certainly support anything that I'm interested in, but um, I'm just, I'm thrilled to be a part of the team. Well, after going through last year, you have plenty of practical experience on that. (laughs) For sure. Because <laughs> every teacher I've talked to talked about this last school year being the toughest they've ever done. I assume you would agree with that. Absolutely. You, um, I did see a school video that Emily Abbott's put together uh, after you'd already left uh, and her snaps up, snapshots of success she does before the school board. And in that video, I was interested uh, by the fact that you said in that video that not being around students all day and being around adults will be, and I think this is the word you used, weird, <laughs> to be around all these adults and not have the sixth graders around with all these years you've been dealing with sixth graders. Uh, so yeah. I do, I, I, I guess that that brings about the question, that when you're in the room and something is being discussed, are you going to be thinking about how it might impact your sixth graders back at Riverside? I think I'm going to be thinking on multiple levels simultaneously. I think one of the things that's really important to me is sometimes things sound good in theory for people that have never been in a classroom. And if something is being discussed, and I know for a fact that that just doesn't work in real life, um, obviously I will stand up and advocate for teachers and students. Um, I think I think there's the teacher experience and then there is the last year's teacher experience, which is just unparalleled. And so I really think that everybody needs to give um, give pause to what teachers have been through, what students have been through, what families have been through. And as much as we want to just everything's fine and let's get back to normal and let's just move on, uh, some damage was done across the board. And so I think we have to heal from that. We have to repair things and then we can move forward. And STEM is directly related to all those issues that you mentioned. And uh, do you think we're paying enough attention to the science uh, when we discuss all these issues? Um, It's really hard to say. When you talk about STEM, everybody has their own understanding of what that means. In my mind, it is a meaningful integration of those fields. 
Now, typically teachers teach in silos regarding their curriculum. Somebody teaches math, somebody teaches science. And I do think that science has to take a back seat sometimes, but that's because standardized testing prioritizes um, math and reading. And so if you know that you're going to be evaluated on those scores, obviously that's where you're going to focus your efforts, which is really unfortunate because a lot of the jobs of tomorrow are STEM centric. And so it's, it's going to be tricky to shift that focus. The other thing is a lot of teachers don't feel equipped to teach science well. They just weren't trained enough in their undergrad programs. And so it's not that they don't want to, they just don't feel especially comfortable doing it. And also we've had engineering standards added to our science curriculum. And that's what my dissertation research was about, actually, how we were asked to teach engineering and everybody looks around like, cool, what did you want me to do for that? Right. And then there's nothing, there's no resources. So we just sort of brush it aside, but it's, it's critical that we learn how to take that on. You you mentioned testing, and I I think that's a key part of it because any school district anywhere in the nation uh, that has to um, be evaluated based on test scores, at least to some extent, uh, will emphasize the subjects on the test. Um, Have you found in your experience that to be a helpful or a harmful thing? Well... I don't have anything against assessment per se. The problem for me has always been that it's kind of an autopsy report. By the time I get those scores, I don't even have that kid anymore. And so um, I like meaningful assessments. I like tests that are designed to test what they're supposed to be testing. Um, But getting something the year after that doesn't help me. And I don't think that it helps the kids. Um, There's lots of equity issues inherent in assessments. So I think they're riddled with flaws. I think, you know, we're aware of this. We need a fix. We need accountability, but we, I know as a teacher and as a teacher sitting in the teacher's workroom, talking to other teachers, it eats up so much of our time. And that's always been one of the biggest complaints that we just invest weeks and weeks and weeks you know, delivering and assessing and scoring and reporting. And um, it's it's just frustrating when you're trying to just get actual content fit into the school day. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm no expert myself, so I read experts, listen to them and, and covering education. And what I have found, and I love your ideas on this, is that testing is certainly a portion of evaluating a school or a teacher or whatever, but it should never be the only measure, that there are lots of other measures that should be included in that evaluation. How do you feel about that concept? Yeah, absolutely. And then the issue becomes, fine, if you don't want us to use this test, what do you want us to use? And so, it, you know, that's, that's why we haven't solved this problem yet, because we have standardized tests. It gives you a nice, tidy score. You can put somebody on a percentile. Done. The problem is, if you, if you don't want that system, what are the alternatives? So, you know, that's, that's the problem. People haven't quite figured out how to assess in other ways that's meaningful and also transferable nationwide. I mean, one of the reasons why we take some of these standardized tests is so we can compare it across the country. How are our kids doing compared to kids in other states? So it's, it's a big problem. Uh, you mentioned the doctoral program. I assume you have your PhD at this point. Is that correct? 
I do. Uh, you should be proud of that. And, and whenever I uh, interview someone with with a doctoral degree, I always asked about the uh, the topic of your thesis, and you've already touched on that. Talk more about that, if you would. Yeah. So my my research specifically looked at how middle school female teachers learned to incorporate engineering into their science classroom. You know, dissertations start big, and then you become an expert on this little tiny narrow topic, but I actually interviewed um, five teachers in in the school district about their experiences. And it was very eye-opening. It was very interesting. And some had um, experiences that were similar to mine and others were different. But um, I'd like to continue with that methodology, looking at other things, other challenges that teachers face. But, but that was just something that was near and dear to my heart because I've seen the benefits of teaching engineering, especially for my female students. So that was my focus. Yeah, you know, Chris, I'm showing my age here, but I ended my K through 12 education in 1969 and nobody ever talked about engineering, uh, you know, in terms of being part of that curriculum. Is that changing now? Yeah. So what happened was the science standards um, not very long ago agreed to adopt engineering in which is great, but like I said earlier, nobody has any background on that. And, if, and in fact, if you talk to some people about engineering, they will still think someone that is operating the train, you know? <laughs> so when you when you translate and say engineering is problem solving, it's, it's learning how to design solutions to problems, that really shifts the focus. And then people are more on board. Well, of course, everybody needs that skill. Why, you know? So it's just a lot of... Um, education that we need but um i do a lot of engineering design challenges in my classroom in a typical year and i think for some kids that that's just their thing they just shine maybe for kids that don't do well in other areas of school that's it unlocks the door for them yeah, I, I think that uh, my first experience, I don't think I know, the first experience I had working around engineers is when I worked in the broadcast business, and I know I saw all the work they did in, as far as keeping radio stations on the air and keeping the equipment in, in good working order, but engineering spans so many different types of, of activity. Once you're an engineer, you can you have a whole spectrum of things you can do. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um. I want to talk about just one more time, and I want to just expand on this a little bit of living in D.C. I've known a lot of people who I worked for the government for 28 years and never lived in D.C., but had a lot of friends of mine who made the decision to move there. And the big decision was, do I live in the district? Do I live in Virginia or Maryland? So have you have you already got that set up? Yeah. So what happened was I came here a month before I actually moved and stayed with a current fellow and apartment shopped. And it was really tricky. It's a lot more inexpensive to live in Virginia, to live in Maryland, to live way out. But I had just um, reconciled the fact that if I was going to live in D.C., I was going to live in D.C. And since I work on the Hill, I wanted to be within walking distance of it. So I'm I'm dangerously close to the capital. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. That actually is a pretty, uh, that's a neat neighborhood. I've, I've walked around that area. So uh, there are a lot of neat places to live, and I hope your neighborhood's uh, one with that. Lots of interesting restaurants and people. So I'm sure you'll experience that as you as you live in that area. Absolutely. Uh, 
I was going to ask you to, because uh, I didn't realize you hadn't actually started working uh, on Capitol Hill yet. Uh, so you, in your at least in, in your beginning stages of, of getting ready for this this fellowship, your orientation, if you will, uh, what are they telling you about how you'll be navigating this this area called Capitol Hill? So you you go through a process called onboarding, and it's you know how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? It's a whole it's a whole new world for someone that's coming from education. And so I do have lots of training and orientation just about how things work. Um, it's funny you don't know how much you don't know until you start studying a new subject. But um, when I had interviews with different offices, they talked about projects that they were interested in and wanted to hear things that I was interested in. So I think it's a collaboration. Like I said, I'm there to serve them. I'm there to act as an expert um, for them, but they also know that I'm there to learn and I can't wait to come back home and share all these experiences because I really get access to an unbelievable amount of things that there's no way I would ever have these kind of opportunities had it not been for this fellowship. Oh, yes. I think the experts that you'll have a chance to tap into will be unlike anything you've ever seen before. They're at the top of their game. And and what you just said leads me into my, my next question, because uh, you obviously are provi- going to be providing some value to the legislative process as you, you delve into this work. Uh, but And it's a little early to tell, but I think you've already been thinking about this and, and just as best you can explain it now, how do you think this experience you're about to have will impact how you approach your students in the future? It's hard for me to say. I mean, I will obviously share all the experiences both with my kids and also with other teachers, but I don't even know what to expect. It's like when you leave for college for the first time, you don't even know what anything's going to be like. And it feels just like that for me. So I'm, I'm just open to it. I'm here to learn. And then I'm, I'm happy to share when I get home, not even just the process itself, but the resources, there are so many phenomenal resources available to teachers, which why would you even know? Like, unless you happen to know somebody that had been on that fellowship or received that grant, I mean, it's, it's usually word of mouth. And so I plan to be this powerhouse resource for teachers. I, I hope that I can share all these things that I find out about. Now, you did mention that you know people who have been in this program before. Uh, what have they told you about what they brought back to their schools after this experience? Uh, different things. Everyone said it was life-changing. Um, and in fact, in our orientation, they talked about how if you are courageous this year can change the trajectory of, of your life. So that's my intention to be intentionally courageous about this whole process. But, but they also said that it really, um, really propelled them into leadership positions. They really just um, took their career to the next level and some stay in the classroom and then some move on to leadership positions. But I love teaching. I, I love kids. I've always loved that. And so staying in the classroom doesn't feel like, oh, I have to teach. I mean, I love teaching. So if other things happen, that's fine too, but I'm pretty content in my classroom. Well, you sound like a lot of teachers I have met, you know, who have been maybe, uh, 
how should I put it, uh, groomed to go into administration at some point. And uh, a lot of those teachers say, well, yeah, being an administrator would be nice in some ways, but I hate leaving my students. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, it's, it's why teachers do what they do. Being with kids is the best part of the day. Well, uh, I think those are all the questions I have. I want to give you a chance here at the end to just add anything you would like to add about uh, the experience you're uh, undertaking now. Anything else you'd like to say uh, as we wrap this up? I will just throw out there that the application for next year's fellowship just became available. So if anyone is listening and they're thinking, that sounds like something that would be such a good fit, such a good adventure, such a good growth experience, I encourage you to go for it. Like I said, I I was waiting until I was worthy. Just apply. Just apply. You have experiences. You have a voice. You need to bring it to the table. So go online, check it out, Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellowship, and and they can contact me. I still have my school email available, so they can they can um, contact me through the HSE school system, and happy to help them out. Must be something just to have a fellowship with the name Albert Einstein attached to it. <laughs> yeah, your friends give you, uh, you know, a little ribbing for that, but <laughs> I'm no Einstein. Oh no, I, 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 you know, very almost nobody is, but it's nice to to be associated with him at least in that way, and it is something you should be proud of, and I know that a lot of people in Fishers are watching the work that you're doing. And I would only ask you one last thing. I would ask that, you know, we're talking to you at the beginning of this process before you've delved into it. Hopefully when you're back in Fishers, I, you can carve some time out for me. We can sit down and talk about what the experience was like. I would love that. Absolutely. I'll have stories. And I look forward to hearing them. Holly Miller, thank you once again uh, for your time and uh, congratulations on the fellowship. And we, uh, we look forward to hearing from you again. Have a great experience there. Thank you. Appreciate it.